Welcome back to another COVID edition of Nerds of the Rounds, guys. I'm your host, Sebastian. It's your boy, Law. And your boy, Tone, from across the hall. And we have today with us a creative series featuring the awesome... Javier Cruz, win it! Hey! What is up, Javier? <laughs> Long-time friend of the show. Friend of the people, man. Yes. First of all, Hion family. Yes, oh, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes. First of all, how have you been doing through this uh, fun period that we've been having, um, social distancing times? <laughs> so it's been a trip. Um, I live in a 26-story building with eight apartments in each floor. So that's over 208. What is it? 208 apartments for the building? Oh, with at least like one to two people in each uh, apartment. So you're talking about like 400 and change, 500 people in the building. Um, How many elevators? Three that don't always work. Oof. Hey. We, <laughs> so one of the ways I like to we like to open up the episode so we can let people know who you are, Javier. Um, give us your origin story, who you are, what have you worked on? I mean, we know you're the good what do you, what do you do? Files. What do you do? Yes. Give us a reason to smile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what makes what makes you smile? You know, like yes. oh. Oh. <laughs> I've been drawing since I was a kid you know, watching uh, cartoons and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, just, just something that, you know, most kids enjoy. I'm sure all you guys have done the same thing. Um, but I was at a, a camp with the Boys Club of New York. And in the mornings from 9 to 12, we do academics. And then from 12 to after lunch, maybe like 12.30 to 5, we did athletics. So, you know, we always wanted to, you know, get past the, the academics to get to the fun stuff. But one of the teachers was like, you know what? I'm a teacher. This is my job. And I love it. I have fun. So when you get older, you're going to have to have a job. So try to find a job that you're going to have fun with and it won't feel like work. And I said, I love to draw. I want to be an artist. And ever since then, I was just like, I need to draw. I need to find a way to make money off of drawing. So, you know, I went to boarding school through the Boys Club of New York. And that ended up in a very strange situation because the school was already ready to uh, shut down before I even got there. So, you know, they, they if they didn't have an art teacher, you had no art for the year. If you didn't have a science teacher, you didn't have science for the year. It was really crazy. Damn, so man. I ended up sacrificing my summers to go to um, to the school called Choate Rosemary Hall, one of the top boarding schools in the country for art. They had a dedicated building just for art. Outside of all, oh, wow. Yeah, outside of all the other things that they had in, in the school. So I went there for the summer, and in the attempts to try to get in, I got B's in art, but I got D's in everything else. So they didn't, they didn't accept me. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll come here for the art then. Um, so I went back to my other school. I uh, ended up going back to Trode again for the next summer because, again, the, the art situation was terrible. Um, finally got to the school that I was supposed to, that I ended up graduating from. And they were like, oh, you already know what we're teaching everybody else here. Do this assignment over here. So lost out on any teaching that would happen there. Went to AP art class. We didn't take, not one of us took the AP art test. You guys know what AP is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. placement. Yeah, yeah. Because not, not, not everyone I meet knows about AP. So okay. I, I always ask. But um, yeah, so not one of us took the AP art class, uh, art test. So it was so bad that the, that the teacher ended up sending my sketchbook to the Savannah College of Art and Design as my portfolio because we, he didn't oh, think wow. that anything we had was, was good to send, which mm-hmm. is really weird too. 
So I ended up going to Lynchburg College, undergraduate uh, school with uh, a, a degree in art. Went there four years. Uh, tried to get out of there too because their art program was not centered for commercial art. Mm-hmm. Um, got uh, honorable mention and a best in show award where the school actually bought my my painting. So they oh, had nice. a permanent collection. And I still only was able to put three pieces of art in my senior show. Really? Yeah, I did. It, that was a whole, that, we could do a whole podcast <laughs> off of that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> wapa, wapa, wapa. I ended up going to the Savannah, Savannah College of Art and Design for a year because I was like, I'll be damned if I'm not going to learn this thing that I want to do. Yeah, I know they're so, a really good program. Their program is amazing. But because of my stubbornness and my self-confidence, it's not really a good mix when I was younger. I didn't realize. Um, and I didn't get along with the administration. They didn't really get along with me. Um, my first, uh, what was it, my, my first jury, uh, not jury show, but my first, um, I forget what it's called, when they, when they evaluate where I stand and whether I should be admitted into the graduate program, because I was a provisional grad student. They tore me apart. Mm-hmm. But they said they do that because they want you to come back stronger, and I did. And the teachers were talking about me. They were telling me about how they, they heard the last teacher say what they said about the last assignment I did and how I was improving and blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, cool. That's, that's what I want to hear. That's, what, that's the direction I want to go in. And then they said they didn't have enough slots for evaluations for, the, for that semester. And I was like, okay, I guess I got to leave this $20,000 a year school because I, I can't do another semester. I need to know if I'm going to be in the school or not. And you guys basically just told me I'm not. So ended up going home, started following people on DeviantArt, started following people online, started learning from them the things that I didn't learn in the other two spots. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was way too slow of an artist and still underskilled to be on a monthly book. So I said, you know what? I'm going to make my own book. I'm not going to let nobody tell me I can't do this comic thing. So again, I put my one foot in front of the other and I made it work. Um, one of the inspirations I got to shout out though is Joe Prado, anchor for DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like him and Ivan Reyes are like the, the dynamic duo of DC Comics. <laughs> You know, Joe's a really nice guy and, you know, I would see him at shows and I'd always compliment him on his work and I, I followed him on DeviantArt. So he was kind enough to, to return that energy. You know, and some people you give that energy to and they just brush you off. But yeah, you know, I said, he's a good dude. He, he ended up giving me that energy back. So one day he saw me at a convention. You know, you, you guys all know me from the shows. Um, I'll get back to that in a second. But he saw me at a show and was like, stop doing this. We already know you can do this. Do a comic. And I said, whoa. Joe Prado just told me to stop doing something and start doing something else. And it's something that he does. So I think I'm going to try to do that. So I started putting my, you know, my energy towards making my own books. Um, and then here we are. What is it? Uh, six years, seven years later with three books and working on a, a, working on a, um, a novel, 25,000 words into it already, uh, working on uh, short stories to help support my uh, my supporting cast in my books, so that way all those different ethnicities get some love, um, and trying to continue to put one foot in front of the other. Tell, tell us about the inspiration for A Reason to Smile. 
the, the the children's book that you came out with. And I love the art style, everything which you came out. And I remember meeting you before I started conv- um, doing conventions. It was at Wintercon. Still have that Stormtrooper piece you did. But you were telling me about the book. And then I remember seeing you again. I was like, oh, okay, I got to pick this up. And I remember I picked up the first and the second book because at the time that I picked it up for you, I also came out with the second book. So tell us about the, the inspiration for the series. So I ended up working at a ch- uh, charter school in Queens uh, called Our World Neighborhood Charter School. And they had a, you know, they had a really great program, a lot of great things going on. But one thing that I started to notice was that there were books about everybody from Africa to Asia to the Middle East to Europe to South America. But they had no books about Caribbean people and definitely no books about Puerto Rican people. And I said to myself, I was like, yo, I want to see a book about Puerto Ricans. Why do I not see? We've been one of the, the biggest factors to why New York is the way it is right now in the positive sense. You know, hip-hop wouldn't be hip-hop without Puerto Rican people contributing to hip-hop. You know, the salsa scene, food, uh, energy. What what is the one thing you hear when the summertime starts, when it even gets a a, a portion of warmth? Bro, it wasn't even even the summertime. It was when my mom got up on Saturday mornings and put the music on and it started cleaning, and that's what you heard. All of us have that story. All of us have that story. And like you hear it in the, in the, you know, passing in the street and everything. So I'm like, getting loud, dominoes getting slapped. Yeah, man. So it's like, how do we have this as part of the city, but we don't have books that represent any of that. So I said, okay, let me start trying to figure out how I can do that. And one of the things that I wanted to do was dispel a lot of things that are in the world that we have issues with, especially our, our, immediate circle right so like people who you know kids would be would be like oh i'm a kid i can't do that oh well that's for girls i won't do that or that's for boys i don't do that or this or that and it's like i wanted to try to find a way to give support to kids that felt like they couldn't do something because it wasn't supposed to be done another thing that came to mind was like how there were a couple kids in the school that would always have that new kid come to school and they would be the one to go and introduce themselves and get them acclimated to the school. And these are like some of the popular kids. So I was like, you know what, that's a really good role model and a really good example that more kids need to see. So that was another thing that I wanted to add to the mix to dispel that idea of I'm too old for this, or that's for young people or that, you know, to dispel any of those stereotypes, um, I, I figured that a fifth grader would be the best way to uh, tackle some of those issues because, for one, you know, you talk about problems as an adult, nobody wants to hear you. They got, adults have their own problems. But when kids start to talk about it, when kids say something, it's like, yo, that kid is saying that? You start paying a little bit more attention. You give it a little you bit more You start to second guess everything. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you feel for that kid. You want to help that kid out. So if people can see through the eyes of a child, that helps to bring out some of that innocence and bring out some of that strength to support that idea. Um, the other thing is, you know, as, as kids, we were all told, you know, don't do that. That's for kids. Or, um, you know, when, when you get into the real world, you can't do that anymore. And it's like, you know, what happened to our imaginations? What happened to our creativity? What happened to our reckless abandon for, for fun? And for things that didn't harm anybody else, you know, 
those are those are other things that I want to you know help to reinvigorate and and our you know our collective and give kids that that notion that you know I can still do this when I'm in middle school I can still do this in high school I can still do this in college I can be this person and not have to worry about somebody else telling me I can't be that person so those those are a lot of the things that that weigh on me whenever I write any of my stories and then I'm a New Yorker I've been here since 1988. Actually, no, 1986. I've been in Manhattan since 88. And this city is another character. Just like Gotham City is a character, just like Metropolis is a character. They all got that because of New York. They're, they're, they're like um, DC's versions of New York. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I, I've you know been to a lot of panels, panel discussions and a lot of talks at conventions where, you know, they talk about why things happened in stories. And I, I paid attention and I said, you know what? New York is a character. So you got to add New York to the, you know, to the story. It helps people feel a connection to where you're at. That establishing shot is big. You know, when you know where you're at and you know what you're dealing with, you start to become part of that story. So that's one of the, the, the reasons why I want to make sure when you see any of my art, you know, that's New York. That's not, you know, someone saying it's New York and then you see a farm in the background. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, like I told Javier, I totally get that. Like I'm lo- I look at the covers of your books and like it just screams New York. Yeah. You know, uh, the outside, the, the cityscape, even uh, even the handlebar on the on the subway train, you know, like that. that, that <laughs> the New York si- subway. Yeah, the New York subway, you know, it just it just screams New York and it feels New York. So you totally get that vibe from was- looking at the art. Honestly, I could, you, we could tell that you're a native New Yorker because you actually have the real details of the train. Have you ever seen someone when they're like, oh, I drew New York, a New York subway train? And you're like, that's not a New York subway train. They don't have that. <laughs> oh, we got the, cur- got the curve on the, on the sidebar. You know, it's, Yo, not, just, so it's, not, straight, details, it's not straight up and down. Yeah. It's a curve. Yep. <laughs> so y'all see, you remember Spider-Man 2? Oh, yeah. yeah. The, eleva- the, 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 the elevated train in Manhattan. That was a Chicago train. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that looked like a Chicago train. Yeah. I, was, I was like, there are no elevated trains in Manhattan. It was fun, but what ended up happening for me is when I saw that scene, I was like, man, I wish there was elevated trains in Manhattan. That would be crazy cool. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever seen the old school pictures of New York when there used to be? There's like, one that's the down, the one that's, that's super downtown, but there's, it's a walkway now. Yeah, so I was just about to bring that up. On Allen Street, uh, so I'm in the Lower East Side uh, myself. So Allen Street is like one of our our major streets, mm. and now you have two bike lanes, two dedicated bike bike lanes, and then a, a pavilion that goes all the way down from Houston Street to actually all the way down to the FDR Drive mm. and the South Street Seaport. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's about a, at least a mile stretch, yeah. and you know, could you imagine like being able to be that high in the sky and seeing New York? I would love that perspective because I love walking through LES, like just yeah. walking and biking and skateboarding. But the like elevated perspective is a whole different like look. Bro, and they said that that, 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 they, that walkway is really nice too. Oh yeah, they did a lot of good work with that. But uh, Javier, my question to you, uh, for a reason to smile, so I see that it's beginning, early, intermediate readers. Is that all just one stage, or do you have three different versions? So at this point, I have three different versions. So the, the and it was very purposeful to have it that way, because when I did the first book, I wanted to try to make a story and a book that had an opportunity for older people to enjoy it for the visuals 
while younger people were able to read the story and get what they got from the story as well. So I, that's why, if you notice, on one side is just text, on one side is just images. Because I wanted the, the story to speak for itself and I wanted the art to speak for itself with the, with the idea that they could be married together and still create a, a cohesive story. So what I found was, as I was selling the book the first year, a lot of kids were like, this is too easy. I was still selling the book. I, I sold 500 copies in less than half a year. But... I, Which, congratulations, I, by the way, on that. Thank you. Thank you much. Um, I, had, I had the book in, eight, in October, and then I sold out my 500th book uh, to a school. Actually, it was 10 of them to a school in, like, April. So... Major. As I major. So as I was selling the book, I, you know, I would have kids that would, like, you know... Tell me this or that. I was like, oh, you don't like it? Okay, that's cool. You don't have to like it, but tell me why. So I can understand and maybe I can make you a better book. Mm-hmm. So they would tell me what they, you know, what they thought. Parents would tell me why they wouldn't buy it for their kids. Um, so I said, okay, these are the things I'm going, I'm going to address in the next book. So in the first book, there's about a paragraph per page or per, per double page spread. Um, and even still with that, like each, I, I did a count and I think maybe half of the book was paneled and then half the book was double page spreads. To have that mixed between like the children's book and the comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, so then with the second book, I also had a better idea of publishing and printing and how I was going to, I needed to put the book together because I had an idea. I made the book and then I tried to print it, which was a mistake. So when I did the second book, since I knew how to print it at that point, I laid out the book differently, which helped the storytelling be a lot easier to read and then allowed me to um, get really deeper into how I created the transitions from one scene to the next or one moment to the next, speeding up the, 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 the feeling of the story or slowing it down and slowing down the pacing. Uh, I was able to do a lot more of that. So maybe only a quarter of the book is double page spreads. So it's more comic book-like in the second book, making it feel more mature, making it feel more of a older read. Plus, now instead of it being one paragraph, it's the whole space that is dedicated to the text is filled with text. So it's paragraphs versus a paragraph. So that, so that now makes the reading level higher because it's higher word count, higher reading level because there's, there's more vocabulary uh, or, or larger vocabulary words. So instead of it being like a one or two syllable word, it's like three syllable words, four syllable words are included as well. So one of the things I never wanted to do though was I never wanted to feel make a kid feel like I'm talking down to them. Mm-hmm. So in each of the books, I write the stories as if I'm talking to you. One of the one of the, the things that was tough for me in trying to get it get started in writing the story was I hadn't written a story before. So I was like, what am I going to do to actually make this work? And I then remembered I used to write poetry and I used to write rap songs. Like, I have three demos that I did in, in uh, Black Rob Studio. I don't know if y'all remember. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have three demos that I did. I ended up doing uh, their logo and I bartered with them. I did, I did three logos for three hours of studio time. And, man, I made it work and I did three songs in three hours. Good <laughs> stuff, man. Good stuff. So it's like I. So you just had to, you had to find your voice all over again. Yeah, and and that's actually I, I gotta rephrase that. It wasn't so much my voice because I always I, I've always known my voice. Okay. I had to find how to express that voice. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because 
I expressed it through my, my illustrations. I expressed it through my old rap songs, but I didn't know how to express it in a story. So I had to remember a lot of those panels I went to. I had to remember how I constructed stories in my rap songs. Cause I have a song that's, that's, uh, I want to say like 90 bars of just song. There's no chorus. So I started trying to write the, the story in that same way that I would write the songs. And, and that's where I was able to come together with the first, uh, the first story. Then with the second story, I, I was like, okay, I just gotta, I gotta talk about how she's feeling. Cause one of the editors that I had spoken to said, I don't know Louisa's voice. I don't know how, you know, how she talks. I don't know how she responds to things. All I know is what she physically does. So then I started to try to incorporate that into the, into the story and have her speak. She speaks for the first time. Um, so, cause I don't really talk a lot myself unless like, like right now we're prompting each other, right? We're asking questions and, you know, we have, a, we have a topic of conversation. Um, but normally I don't really have much to say unless I'm prompted. So I had to figure out how to make that work in the second story to, um, make sure that she had more of a voice than what I usually have. So I made sure to, to add some, some context of what she's going through and how she feels. And um, the end of the book has a lot more dialogue because there's a lot more going on interpersonally than just with her. Um, so now I have book one and book two. And I'm like, okay, ma'am, I have a book. Sir, I have a book. Can you come look at my table? My, my wife calls me a carnival barker. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, you, you got to you, you do it. I got a drawing in my book. Come, you, you so, got to attract them over. <laughs> yeah. Especially with so much out there in the conventions, it's like there's 50 million people trying to do the same thing you are. So, with that being said, I started realizing that I wasn't getting parents with really young children to buy the books, and I said, "What's going on? Parents don't read the kids no more, or do they ever?" So I said, "Okay." I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet that demand. They don't want to read to their kid? Cool. I'm going to make a, a kid's book, a straight-up kid's book. So I went from being, you know, beginning reader to intermediate reader. And I said, you know, let's just go to, to beginning reader. Um, so let me target my, you know, I had a daughter at the time. Um, I said, let me, let me make a book that she will want to read or that I would want to read to her. And then it came to me that all the books that I started reading or about mommy and the kid. All the books that I was reading was about boys. All the books that I was reading was about animals. So I was like, okay, I got to now fill another void. So I started writing a book about Louisa as a five-year-old, meeting her friends for the first time. In volume two, we meet her friends for the first time, but they're already friends. So I wanted to show how she meets her friends for the first time, because we have this issue with our kids where they're all in their cell phones and they're all in their electronics. Mm. Mind you, the parents are giving them all these things. But we have this issue. So to address that, I show a kid going outside to the park. To address being awkward and feeling uncomfortable, I have her introduce herself instead of waiting for someone to come to her. Um, To address the idea that parent that fathers are not involved daddy and mommy are in the book and whenever you see daddy you see mommy whenever you see mommy you see daddy you don't see either one of them alone um all of their friends actually no the two males that you see in the book that she hasn't become friends with but she you know that it's going to happen you see their fathers 
And that's one of the things that I wanted to make sure that was very present in the book is fathers, because one, I, as a father, I don't see fathers in books. So I'm having to learn how to be a father because me and my father don't have the greatest relationship. I'm having to learn how to be a father on my own. So I don't have examples from TV. I don't have it, not good ones anyway. I don't have good examples from books. So I had to make it up on, on my own and say, okay, well, what do, I, what do I want her to be able to say about me when she's 15, when she's 25, when she's 40? How she feel about daddy? So those are things that I wrote in the book with dad and mom walking with her to the park. What's that been like to now have a book that you do read to your daughter that she's like, like, oh, snap, like daddy, like me, this. What's that been like for you? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing because it makes me feel validated in everything that I do because she can recite the story. Like she, does, like she doesn't even like know the words. She's three years old and I'm like trying to teach her how to read now because she knows letters really well. Right. But she, um, she would repeat the things that I would say. So like my wife went to the park yesterday and she was like, yo, do you know what your daughter did today? She enacted one of the scenes in the book. Really? Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, there's, there's a part where, That's awesome. um, so with the parenting scene, it goes, um, mommy buys some water to drink the thirst away. Luisa loves to climb up top and watch the people play. So at that point, she's on the top of the, one of the jungle gyms and she's just watching people play basketball and seeing the two kids that she wants to eventually become friends with or interact with. Mm-hmm. So she went up to the top of the thing and was like, she's still, still too short to climb to the very top, but she climbed as high as she can go. She says, I'm just going to watch, I want to watch the people play like Luisa, mommy. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! That must have been that must have been great. No, that made my year. I love the fact, like I said, when I met you, was um, you're an artist behind the table. You pushing this Kickstarter for your first book, and immediately, like one of the things I noticed was your art style. Like I said, I still have that stormtrooper piece you did. It's there in my book, but I noticed over the years. And it's not to say, like, again, that you were a bad artist when we first met, because, like, yo, dude, your stuff was killing it. To be fair, I have to say, I've me seen... Me and my nephew still have some of your pieces, like... Yeah. Like, come on. The evolution of your art style is just... It went from, oh, this dude is dope, to, like, whoa, it's fantastic. I mean, you even now do the... You even now do, like, well, you were... I remember we were talking, you're playing with the water paints now, too, for the background and everything. I mean, yep. how... Was that journey in finding your art style? So there's a couple of things. Um, first off, uh, JG Jones, and I name drop him because he was somebody that I was at a at a panel watching how to, you know, just see what he had to say because the man is, in my opinion, the man is a genius. Um, he did all those 52 covers, and he did the the Wanted book that they made a movie out of. Yeah. The book, the book is crazy better, but um, he he basically said, "Don't worry about creating an art style. Draw correctly. The way your mind interprets drawing correctly is your style." And I said, "Yo, that makes so much sense because I see things differently than you do, and then this person and that person and the other person. So when I see when I make it right." And it's such an Uncle Iroh simple piece of, like, it's so <laughs> yes. simple, but oh, so it's profound. It's like, why didn't I think of that before? For real. That is awesome. And that's that's what I love to, to hear and see from people, like little tidbits. Like, 
one of my old bosses, he, he, he found a quote that he loves to, to tell people when we were at the job and it was try, fail, try better, fail better. And I'm like, that's life. Because nobody ever gets it right. Nobody gets it perfect. No matter what you see and think is a genius or, or, or you know, top tier, whatever, there's still a flaw there. There's still something that can be improved. Um, that's why I love certain artists because they've evolved. Like you guys have said, you know, about me, like that's what, that's one thing that drives me because since I love those artists so much because of how much they've grown, I'm like, I can't not grow. Who am I to think I'm, I've, I've reached my pinnacle. I'm, I'm, I'm the upper echelon. I'm where I need to be. No, if I, mm-hmm. even if I'm Tom McFarlane making billions of dollars because I own companies and I don't have to do it no more, you know, there's still room for growth. But yeah, with the with the art style and the evolution, it's like I don't ever want to stay the same. I don't ever want to be on the same path. It gets boring for me. You know, mm-hmm. other people might be okay with like you know having their routine and everything, and like I have my routine, but it's like. Routine for me is structure, which is great. But then how do I make it fun? That's when you try to do that growth. That's when you try to see what else can I do? Because I'm, I'm capable of more than just this. Whatever you see me as right now, I can do more. And now to thank our sponsors. The Nerds of the Round is brought to you by Enbion. Make sure to use the code GETNERDYWITHIT to get 10% off merchandise and services such as web hosting, printing, and more at nbeyond.com. You know, I was always fascinated by art galleries and museums. And I was like, I want my art in museums. I want someone that has never seen me before from the other side of the world to see my work and be like, yo, I like that. For whatever reason it is, you know, they, they, they take home what they take home. But, you know, I want, I want, you know, people to see my stuff and say, oh, I, I want to see more. What I did with Making Friends, which is the third volume, I decided to try my hand at creating what, what, we know to be like uh, animated cells. So rather than just doing everything digitally, I said, okay, let me give it a little bit more life. Let me give it more of that separation of space. And uh, you know, all the characters that are moving and that are doing things, they're, they're uh, computer colored, still pencils and ink by hand, but computer colored. And then the entire background is painted. So I'll pencil it in, I'll scan the pencils, I will ink the characters, I'll scan the characters, and then I will completely paint the whole background, leaving out the characters. So then what I can do with the inks on the computer now, I just level it out so all the pencil work is gone and it's just those inked characters, put them on their own layer, color them, and then drop that layer right on top of the watercolors. And boom, that's a new illustration. So since I started doing that with the book, I said, okay, that's what I want to eventually do. And what I start, how I started doing it was I did an illustration for my daughter for her first birthday of Sesame Street. And with wow. this new thing that I have of where I want to, you know, put 50,000 characters on a page. Um, <laughs> you you fit like, characters on a page. I can tell you that. That's a skill too. Bro. <laughs> Bro. about that for a whole day too. But um. I ended up putting like all the characters that I knew that my daughter was recognizing in Sesame Street. So when she saw the illustrations, like, oh, 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 oh. Um, so I did that. It came out exactly how I wanted it to come out. And then I was off to the races and did a whole book that way. Um, so now I feel bad when I don't want to take the time to paint it because it's a whole bunch of steps. It's very, um, you know, it's, there's a lot to it. So it's like, I feel bad when I don't want to do that, but sometimes I'm like, I just want to keep drawing. 
So it's like I, I fight with myself over my techniques <laughs> and what I want people to convey and how, how I want to do things. So what, what's really happening now is it slows me down because I'm fighting with myself, but I know I'll eventually do it. So it's just a matter of, like, again, putting that foot in front, one foot in front of the other and just knowing that I need to get there eventually. I mean, like the contrast of style between the watercolors and the digital is just, it really makes the characters pop. It's really dope. Thank you. Yeah. That was one of the things I wanted to do as well, because, you know, that, that term makes, it makes the characters pop. I've heard that so much from, you know, from other artists, from my art. And I was like, I want to continue to hear that. I want to continue to hear that people feel this energy, that they feel this movement, that they feel these things. I, I want to convey these things. Um, and as I was coming up and trying to figure out what I loved about art, I realized that I love contrast, light to dark, from one color to the next, uh, complementary colors, things along those lines. So this is like that perfect marriage of contrast from the painted, still relaxed background to these people that are actually doing things. It also does something like um, in the form of texture because it gives the piece a lot of texture to it. Because again, that, that, um, it was cool because every time I see someone mess with watercolors, it just looks really fantastic. Like I met an artist, um, his um, Eric at uh, Rhode Island Comic Con, it was the same thing. He was doing watercolors and he was just tossing salt on it. And then again, it was just the, the, those uh, textures that was creating. And like they, like Tony said, your artwork really pops from that um, when you're doing that with uh, the digital combined with the watercolors. It also gives a very animated feeling. So going into animation, um, do you ever, or is there any plans to ever uh, have this crossover into an animation, um, A Reason to Smile? So that was one of the reasons why I did A Reason to Smile the way I did it. Because I, you know, I don't want A Reason to Smile just to be a story that I did. I want it to be a lifestyle. I want it to be something that you wear on your shirt. I want it to be on your cap. I want it to be in your shoes. I want it to be in your food. I want it to be, you know, wherever you are, I want a reason to smile to somehow be on your mind and be a positive thing. I did the and the style more as a animated style because one, I was having a hard time drawing kids and I felt that was the best way for me to convey the, the character. And then it started falling into place. And I said, oh, wow, this is, this is, she's in her own world. She's got her own space in the world that we live in, you know, as well as the world that she lives in. So let me combine those two things, you know, started doing realistic backgrounds while still being, you know, digitally colored to keep the animated feel. Um, and then when I started thinking about how to bring my art into the gallery settings and excuse me, doing the watercolors and, and things along those lines, that's when I realized that I could actually start doing the animated feel with the, you know, with the animated cell and then having it, um, have you guys actually seen any of my stuff at a gallery yet? Um, so, uh, I saw Pancakes, Pancakes and Booze. Booze yeah. So at Pancakes and Booze, I hadn't done this yet. So okay. This, so what you guys saw was the two covers, the first two covers. Right. Um, so with this book, what I did was I, I printed the digital, uh, the digital art. I printed it on cellophane, on transparency, and I put that over top of the watercolor painting. Framed it. Oh, wow. So this is definitely the direction I will be going with with these books. So now I have, a, a again, with growth and trying to be better and all these things, um, I have a new way of publishing now. 
So okay. my, my new approach is I have three different tiers of uh, production. So I have the board books that once they sell out will eventually become traditional children's books with like the hardcover and the flap and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when they finally sell out, uh, I'm going to add another eight pages to the book and then reproduce it as a children's book, do the soft cover, hardcover thing, invite some artists to do their take on the character and the story, write a short story for that. And that's going to be in the hardcover with all the behind the scenes stuff that you see in the hardcovers of volume one and volume two. So that's going to be another production that's going to happen. Instead of doing volume one, volume two, volume three, I'm actually going to flip that back to the traditional comic book style. So I'm going to be doing, uh, my books are eight by eight. I'll be doing them 10 by six, whatever the actual measurements are, but like a traditional comic book that you would buy and put in a a baggie and all that kind of stuff. I'm also going to be doing uh, novels as well. So those three... Three types of ways to... Man with a plan over here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, three ways of trying to, to perceive and enjoy different stories um, for the purpose of reaching different audiences. Mm-hmm. Because the board books are going to... The board books and the children's books will introduce a reason to smile to the younger audiences. The comic books will be universal uh, in their tone and their style. So you can read it. Your parents can read it. My kids will read it. Everybody will be able to read it and nobody's going to have an issue with it. The novels are be, will be specifically for people who don't like to read comics. They don't want to read, but they want to read more sophisticated books and longer books and blah, blah, blah. People will read with the pinkies up. <laughs> pinkies up. Um, you know, for those people that have the nightlight and they put it on their book and they read in their bed and stuff like that, you know, it's just a different, you know, different genre, different audience, but it allows them to have that same experience with a character that will help to reinvigorate their imagination, validate their feelings, and make them have a better day after the terrible day they've had where they want to curse out their boss. Every time I see you at a convention, you always have this really great positive energy. And you, you and everybody that has um, stopped by your table, you, um, your fans, but, uh, because definitely you have a lot of fans that stop by. Um, what is your favorite experience at a con on your travels? So it was actually, I have a lot of, a lot of great stories. Um, so remember, I told you we were going to go back to this. Um, <laughs> we'll find so, it full circle. <laughs> well, I started going, doing comic book conventions in 2008 at the Big Apple Con. Um, that was when I realized that that was the path that I needed to take in order to try to get into the industry. Because what I was doing before that was not working at all. It wasn't helping me grow enough. I wasn't building enough. I wasn't... Uh, meeting anybody enough, you know, it, was, it wasn't enough. So started doing that by about 2010, started traveling, went to Chicago, um, met my lady, started traveling more, and conventions became a reason why I got to see states that I never saw before. So I got to meet a lot of different people, had a lot of great stories, a lot of, you know, great experiences with fellow creators as well as patrons and, and fans. And, you know, I've met really great people like you guys. I never would have met you guys if I hadn't gone to a Comic Con. So, you know, I'm, I'm better for knowing you guys. Um, same, brother. Same. So, same, same. Right I, think, I think I met you at, like, one of my first, like, official cons. Like, I always, mm-hmm. say, NY- I always, I always say NYCC was, like, my... Like, I went there, but I didn't really get to experience it. But Big Apple 2014, I want to say. Okay. 
I think that's I think before my first book drop. Yeah. I think uh that's why I picked up um the piece for my nephew. Yes. And it was it was just one of those things like I I'm like super grateful of like those little moments of like getting to meet like cool artists like you and like uh just cosplay people in the industry and uh surrounding in this community. But uh unfortunately like people like you that I met that are like just super dope and just like I've seen the growth, I've seen the progress and just you know super super proud of you man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And it's always great to see you when you, when you come to the shows because it's like, another happy person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always exciting because, you know, you, you see all these people walk by and they're, like, they're, they're looking down or they're just, you know, talking to somebody. And it's like, yo, you're at a Comic-Con. You should be happy. <laughs> the best place in the world. It's better than Disneyland. <laughs> but my, one of my the most re- uh, memorable stories right now is my last show. I was at... Um, I was at uh, C2E2 in Chicago, uh, right when like, COVID started getting like scary. Like, are, should we go? Are people going to show up? Is it safe? Like, there was just a lot of questions and a lot of curiosity about what was going on. And this family showed up. It was a, a father, an older daughter, uh, uh, and then two boys. And the girl, man, she ran things. Like, she was <laughs> everything. <laughs> she knew every story. And then the, the, the next boy, who was, like, maybe a year or two, probably two years younger than her, would, would be like, you know, he would co-sign a lot what she would say, and he would, like, jump in when she didn't have something. And then the youngest kid had all this energy and, like, you know, was supporting them and they were all joking and playing and, and like we just had a really good time talking about comics and of course what was great was that they bought my stuff too but um, <laughs> they they had this, this energy and this love that you don't normally see with, with siblings um, they were friends you know what I mean like they had this love for each other and the things that they loved you know, they were able to enjoy it all together. And I asked the father, I was like, how do, how do they know all this stuff and, like, are so confident with it all? And he's like, I've been showing it to them since they were little. You know, ever since they were little, we just watched it together. We all, all three, all four of us. You know, and I was like, and, and the mom, she likes it too? She, he's like, nah, not really. That's why she's not here. But that's okay. That's okay because we, we have our time. You know? that's, their, that's their thing. Yeah. And, like, they have their time with their mom. And they, of course, you know, they were still, the parents were together. They were not divorced, but they have their things, you know, right. like my wife and I, I ha- she loves cooking. I love comics. Um, I, I'm like, yo, babe, you need to see this beautiful piece of artwork. And she's like, is it yours? No. Spoken like a true artist's wife. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> but but she's, she's honest about it. And then like, she's like, I would never show you, you know, this beautiful, uh, recipe i'm like no but if you show me the end result i'm a, I'm a drool <laughs> <laughs> so show me uh, but you know so they had they had their relationship you know and that made me think i'm like you know sometimes i wish i had more kids because i would love to have that same kind of connection um but at the same time i wasn't in the right place health-wise to be able to have another kid so it, you know I'm, I'm fortunate to have my daughter and and fortunate that she's as healthy as she is and that my wife is where she's at and you know I I, I'm thankful that we have that but I was very happy to see that kind of energy and like I want to make stories for people like that 
That's dope. That is super dope. Yeah. Bobby, what are some of the future plans that you have for Reason Smile? Any other projects that you have working on? Toss the digits, bro. So right now I am in the process of doing the eight page, the first eight page story for my supporting cast. Nice. This, the book that when it's finally collected together, it's actually going to be um, in anywhere between four and six individual issues. Um, but it's just going to be eight pages. So it'll be like, you know, number one, number two, um, since it's going to be like a traditional comic book in the way that it's printed and, and illustrated. So um Doing the first eight pager, the book is going to be called "Another Reason to Smile." Oh, so instead of being a reason to smile, so it'll be that spinoff. Um, and then once that's collected, all those those short stories they'll be collected into a, a graphic novel with a hardcover with the short stories and all that kind of stuff. And then from there, I've got three to four arcs already mapped out. I haven't written them, but they they're plotted out. To talk about like what she's gonna what what are these the next stories gonna be that need to inspire me to keep creating. So the next set is gonna be her and her friends. Like in volume one, I mean volume one, the cover had her on the sea turtle out of nowhere. Uh, everyone's like, oh, why is she writing a sea turtle? And then you read the book and there's no sea turtle. So everyone's like, we want the sea turtle. <laughs> so I mean, a character in the second book. Uh, the, the second book has the sea turtle as her imaginary friend. So that's how I was able to connect that. In volume three, all of her friends are going to have imaginary friends as well. And they're all from different parts of the world. There's another Puerto Rican girl. There's a Jamaican girl whose parents are Rastafarian. There's a, a boy that's from Africa, from Ghana. And then a girl from, uh, no, another boy from China. He's like, they're all born here, but they're like first and second, first or second generation um, okay. their parents will be from actually they're all first generation because they're all the parents are going to all be from their their respective homelands and that's going to be what fuels the short stories but that's also going to be what fuels the uh, animals that are their imaginary friends so with those animals they're going to be racing to the park uh, to see who gets there first so you'll see the mix between like them actually running and then them on the animals uh, so you'll, you'll see the back and forth between reality and uh, imagination. imagination. Once Very they cool. get to the park, they're going to be playing around and they're going to actually play kick the can, but they're going to decide who, which superhero they're going to be. Ah. I'm going to be this guy. I'm going to be that guy. And I've talked to a bunch of creators already, like Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez, who does Labor in Kenya. Mm -hmm. I've talked to Greg um, Anderson Alice about Isnana. I've talked to a whole bunch of different creators and I'm like, I want to name drop your characters in my book to give people an idea about all these other characters that they may have never heard of. I'm like, yo, but what about Islana? What about Labor in Kenya? What about this? What about that? I think that's dope. Giving love to the indie industry. Yes. Yes. Because I'm all about giving back. I'm all about, because I, I was given so much love and so much help and, and all these different things from so many people. I got to give back. So that's going to be what's going to, that's going to be the catalyst that catapults them into being their own superheroes. And that's where I'm going to introduce the superhero line to a reason to smile. Mm. So that's going to be another aspect of the, the characters. And then the, but then the twist and the, the actual dilemma and the problem that they're going to have to experience is that, so Luisa lives uptown. She lives in Midtown. She's from the Lower East Side though. 
So in volume one, you see her in Midtown where she, you know, coming out of her building. Um, in volume two, you see her go from her apartment, not just the building, but the apartment you see inside her house, down to the Lower East Side. So you see from the, the smooth uh, sidewalks to the cracked sidewalks. You know, you see that, that transition. But the board, the board books are going to be her at five years old and experiencing life and learning things to teach other kids. The comics are going to be her during her after school time. So from like three, four o'clock on, the weekend, stuff like that. And then the novels will be heard during her school time. So whatever she experiences because of school, you know, school trips, uh, classroom stuff, stuff with homework, all that stuff is going to be in the novels. So the kids that are in her, in the novels are going to actually come downtown and will have followed Louisa to the Lower East Side to see how the other half lives. It's kind of like the meeting of two worlds. Nice. So you know how people talk and you see how, you know, some of the, the misconceptions and all that mm. kind of stuff. I'm going to be addressing that. So that's, that's going to be how um, the story unfolds in the first arc. So the next one is real simple. It's just going to be them traveling all through New York City together and seeing different landmarks in the city to help big up New York and uh, show how, how we see New York. And the problem then is going to be you're going to finally see them have interpersonal problems with each other as friends. Okay. Oh, but you look at me like this. Oh, but you talk to me that way. Oh, but your life is this and your life is that and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think it's good you tackle those issues because, you know, those are real life issues. And it's like, you know, I mean, we all know what's going on in the world today and all that. And I think that in a way you doing that in your book is kind of creating those conversations that people are afraid to have. Yep. And yep. that's pretty, that's dope though. I like that. Yep. I love it. And then that's going to transition into Louisa having her own issues again, but now it's with the family and Poppy's going to be like, yo, you need to chill out. Go and do some research about why the building next to where we grew up at is named Campos Plaza. And why is that one named you know, after this person, and why is that one named after that person? Go do some research. Go find out why we are the way we are. Go find out why we ha- why what we have is amazing, and why you need to stop being a brat right now. So it's going to be her then going through the travels and going to the projects and going to different streets and finding out why does this street have this name? Why does this building have this name? And it's only going to be in our neighborhoods. It's only going to be in our buildings because I'm not you know. We have all these buildings named after all these heroes of ours, but we don't know who they are. Exactly. We don't know why why they're important. Why why does you know we, why did we used to have so much crack in this building, and but it's named after somebody so important? How do we not know the importance of this person? How do we not have that inspiration to help us move forward? Why is there not a plaque in this building that talks about and commemorates who this person is? And then that way she can start seeing all these things about how far we've come and how much we have and how, how easily it could be taken away, you know, stuff like that. So that's going to be, and that's going to be one of the things that I actually go to the government and the board of ed about. And we're like, yo, yeah, I need to fund this. This needs to be in your schools. This needs to be in your curriculum. And hopefully, yes. Yes. hopefully nobody takes that idea before I can get that done. <laughs> no, I think you'll get that. Nah, you like, heard it here first, people. Yeah. It's yeah. just a matter of time when you do it because um, yeah. I, I do remember too seeing that you were doing library readings too of your book, which I was like, yo, he's like, you get people that say that they're going to do stuff, 
but you're one of those people who say you're going to do it and you do it and you follow through and you make a lesson about it so people can learn. And again, it's, I don't say this about a lot of people. I mean, whenever me and just see you again at a show or in person or whatever, we're generally happy of like, you know, hearing how great you and the family are doing. Like, um, especially when you said the news, like, Oh, I'm going to be a daddy. Just like how you smile, you see like there, but you're one of those general beautiful souls. And I, rem- I remember that that that, yeah, that, shift, time, right? that shift in you where yeah. you were like, I'm not a dad to like, oh, by the way, I'm about to be a dad was like, oh, but, but I, I just want to put it out there. Like if anybody like we all do hope that conventions come back. But if anybody ever gets to meet you in person and you get to talk to them, like I would just say that just experience you getting to know you and even just even speaking to you in passing person is a beautiful thing because I feel like you touch everybody's life positively. Thank you. I appreciate that. That, That's a great thing to hear. Well, thank you, bro. Thank you, man. Again, (laughs) thank you for coming on the show though. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, So guys, hopefully, um, hopefully hopefully meet in person. (laughs) (laughs) We got to make this this happen. Yeah. 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 You know, where where can, where can we find you brother? Where where can we look for your books? Where can we, uh, Stalk you on the interwebs, all that good fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, I finally got my, my internet together, my internet game together, and I finally have a, a good website. It's www.thecurve.com. T-H-E-C-U-R-V.com. Uh, and what's great about the site is it has a connection to my Instagram, so you can see what's what's uh, what the newest thing that I'm working on. You can see that there before it hits the, the site itself. Um, you can see... Uh, my books are on there. Um, you can either go straight to the book section because there's, there's a link up top, or you can go through the uh, the shop and find the the packages and find like you know how you can buy all three books for cheaper. Um, but yeah, thecurve.com. I'm either under the learning curve or the curve. So with Instagram, it's the learning curve. With Twitter, it's the learning curve because somebody took T H E. When that happens, <laughs> check out Javier. Check out his stuff. Keep um, look for the book. Reason to smile. Again, we want to thank Javier for coming on. So this has been your um, another COVID edition of Nerds Around. Your host Sebastian, your boy Law, and your boy Tone from across the hall. You guys, love wash you guys. your hand, wear your mask, and we love you guys. Peace. Yep. Peace.